Hello, and welcome to the CDO Magazine interview series. I'm Jonathan Shirey with Guidehouse Consulting. I'm a partner in our commercial financial services segment. And today I have the pleasure of talking with Tiffany Perkins-Munn, who is a managing director and head of marketing data and analytics at J.P. Morgan Chase & Company. So welcome, Tiffany. It's been great to put this on the calendar, and I've been very eager to speak with you. Hey, Jonathan. It's nice to be here chatting with you, too. When you think about change management and data, you know, one of the areas that we've, we've chatted about is data literacy. You know, what, what do you, what's your views on data literacy and how it impacts and how, you know, the, the role it plays in, in institutions and organizations? Um, I think data literacy is crucially, critically important. And my perspective is that everyone should have it, right? Not only the people who work in data, but actually people who are everyone in the firm who is using data on a day in and day out basis. And I think that there are uh, several ways that data literacy, literacy contribute to like the successful implementation of change. And first is really understanding the need for change, right? Like not everybody, just because a great idea comes along, not everybody is on board like, yeah, gung-ho about it. So data literacy really enables people within the, the organization to comprehend, and to interpret effectively. It helps them to like recognize the limitations of the existing practices, to identify areas for improvement, and to understand the need for change. So by being data literate, everyone can grasp the insights and evidence that support the necessity of change initiatives in the first place. Um, and that really helps to garner buy-in and support so it because it helps people to make informed decisions by actively participating in the change process, right? So when a person understands how data-driven approaches can like enhance their business efforts and strategies, they're more likely to support and embrace change. And um, data literacy gives you a sense of confidence and competence to navigate through like the new technologies, the new processes, the new methodologies. All of that is has to do with data literacy and how you use it, right? For understanding, for buying and support, and even for um, informing, obviously, as we just talked about, the informing decision-making. And, and the first you know, step of data literacy, I, I think that everybody jumps to is training, right? So everybody says, okay, let's get people trained and understanding how we're using data. You know, that's probably the lowest hanging fruit. I think everybody understands it's a common, uh, you know, table stakes uh, approach and, and capability you need to have in place. What are other areas of data literacy that you, you've seen that, you know, or other techniques of data literacy to teach it and, and grow the organization's knowledge? Um, yeah. Of tra just training. Yeah. I would say obviously training is a, an easy one, um, but things like industry publications and resources, right? Encouraging um, team members to like regularly read the industry publications, the blogs, the research reports, the white papers, because that way you can stay abreast of the latest developments and you can provide a curated list of reputable resources that cover whatever the topics are that are of interest to you, wherever your area of expertise lie, right? And I, so I try to share relevant articles and insights within the team that can facilitate knowledge sharing and discussions. Um, they're also networking and professional association, right? 
networking with peers, industry experts um, will help provide valuable insights into current trends and best practices, going to becoming a part of professional associations related to your area of expertise, in my case, marketing and, ex and analytics. Um, sometimes they those connections will give you access to exclusive resources or webinars and networking opportunities. I think people also underplay the utility of internal knowledge sharing, right? It's not just about external speakers and subject matter experts and networking and professional associations, for example. There is a, we, we need to, and what we, we try to do is to establish a culture of knowledge sharing within the team. So encouraging team members to regularly share interesting articles, research findings, case studies. Um, you know, sometimes we schedule periodic knowledge sharing sessions so that team members can present and discuss relevant industry trends and what the implications are for um, analytic strategies. So those are just a few that I can think of. Yeah, I think that gives people a, a nice list to start out with to, to get their organizations moving forward. And, and then going back to the, the change management side of, of the table, you know, are there certain techniques you've seen that, that have um, been successful in implementing change in, in a data analytics environment uh, for the organization? Yes, I think that one of the things you have to do is really foster a culture of inclusion. Right. So that to me is a very is the very first step, like creating opportunities for open dialogue and encouraging um, members to share their concerns and ideas, actively listening, responding to feedback, um, involving everyone in the decision making process where appropriate and allowing them to contribute to the shaping of the change. So that sense of ownership can really help to mitigate resistance and foster a supportive environment. So that's definitely like one way that you could um, it, it sort of encourage uh, the change management process. And then I think sometimes we try to manage it at the highest level. And so we're thinking about sort of the high level issues that we can address. And really what we should be doing is addressing individual and team concerns, right? So taking more of a personalized approach when dealing with change management and having one-on-one -on -one discussions to understand individual concerns, providing targeted support, um, addressing, you know, we could have group discussions to address team level um, concerns, to clarify expectations, to address any misconceptions. Um, other things that I think really matter are, because it's always, these change management exercises are always long. You know, like if you were to create a roadmap, it wouldn't be like a six a, a six week sprint. It would be like a six month to a year kind of endeavor, even longer sometimes, right? And so celebrating small wins really matter, right? Acknowledging and celebrating early successes because those build confidence and momentum and the opportunity to recognize individual and teams for their efforts and achievement during the change process is really key. And that positive reinforcement help, help, helps to create a sense of progress and it motivates um, individuals to continue embracing the change. And then obviously there's flexibility and adaptability, just like staying open to the feedback, being flexible, understanding that some things will work, some things won't work. 
you know, sometimes we get into this culture where it's all about making things work. So even when they don't, we move into this space where we're spinning the story to show how it kind of works or, but it doesn't like allow it to fail and move on. Right. It didn't work. It's okay. Moving on. And so really instilling that kind of culture and being adaptable and flexible in that way is key. You know, that's a, a fascinating point. And, and in the financial institutional world where we all live, you know, there is a very risk adverse and, and compliance focused environment. And so when you think about the failure part of it, the comment you made, I think there is always a, a concern of like, well, what if it does fail? What if we do, you know, what risks are we taking? And, and so when you come up because you're dealing with some of the most, you know, cutting edge technologies out there and you're, and you're, and you're bringing new ideas and new ways of working and thinking and approaching clients uh, to an industry that, you know, is risk adverse and has to be rightfully so. How do you balance the compliance and risk management with using those technologies and, and bringing new ideas and that, that thought process of, hey, we're going to learn and we're going to adapt and it's okay if we stumble a little bit in different areas, um, but also in a controlled environment? Yeah, I think it's really important that you have um, compliance, legal, risk and control partners on your journey, right? So partners who, not that you tap into in the midst of some crisis, oh my God, this has happened, let me call legal, not like that, but someone who stands with you over the process of the change understands what your goals and strategies objectives are and are able to be partners along the journey, right? So that means that will help you to understand the regulatory requirements, right? You could you need to gain a comprehensive understanding of the regulatory landscape that governs these activities in the industry or maybe even in the region, right? And identify the specific like compliance and risk management requirements that impact marketing and analytics, for example, and then stay updated on any changes or updates to those regulations so that you can ensure ongoing compliance. And if you're really being thoughtful about it, you'll conduct a risk assessment, right? Because you want to identify what are the risks associated with adopting and utilizing advanced technologies and analytics. So assess the potential impact of these risks on data privacy, on security, on legal compliance, et cetera, and then figure out, oh, and brand reputation, right? Because this assessment helps you to understand the specific risks and the guy, and it helps to guide your risk management efforts. And so you're engaging the compliance and legal team. So you're collaborating closely with them along the journey. You're implementing data privacy and security measures, right? So you're prioritizing data privacy and security when you're adopting these advanced technologies and analytics, especially because we're working in a consumer space. So you want to make sure you have strong data governance practices, um, such as data classification, access controls, encryption, um, data anonymization techniques, right? You have to adhere to data protection regulations like GDPR or CCPA and ensure that these activities, marketing and analytics activities comply with those requirements. And then finally, you also, through all of that, you really have to collaborate with IT and cybersecurity teams. So through legal compliance, risk and controls, 
um, collaboration with IT and security teams. You want to make sure that you are establishing clear policies, guidelines, and processes for the broader team to, to, to understand and to employ as you go through the process of whatever the change. That's why I said it's not like one and done. It's, it's a partnership with compliance, legal risk and controls across the lifetime of whatever the thing is that you're trying to change. Because when you get a year into whatever that activity is, something else is gonna change, right? Some new technology has come about, some new regulation. So you really need to stay joined at the hip on those topics. Great. Well, Tiffany, thank you so much. You know, I have been super eager to have this conversation with you. I, I am a huge fan. I'm a blog reader now. Um, thank you. I love your LinkedIn profile, your background, how you ended up in, into data overall. And, you know, thank you also just for any of the audience joining us. Um, you know, we please visit cdomagazine.tech uh, for any additional reviews. And uh, we really appreciate the time today and uh, hope you have a, a great uh, 2023 second quarter.